Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello. I'm Osha, and this is Better Make It Quick. This is a Wednesday version of Better Than Yesterday, which is a podcast here to make your day today better than yesterday. That's the way I try to live my life, I guess, uh, by, I, I don't know, constantly trying to get just a little bit, not that I'm not ever satisfied, by all means, I'm a very satisfied person, but there's always things, always things I can get slightly better at. And in conversation with people who know how to do stuff I want to do, that's usually how I find those things, and then I get to it. I'm Osha Ginsberg. I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm working on a secret audio project is what I'll say. Uh, I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a sitting in the front seat of my car. That's what I'm doing. I'm sitting in my front seat in King's Cross of all places, sitting in the front seat of my car waiting to get into a meeting about a thing that I can't tell you about just yet, but I have a bit of time, and I wanted to make sure that you got a podcast. So I wanted to tell you about Jan Fran. This podcast is from a much longer conversation that I had with Jan in 2018. She came to my house. We had a cup of tea. Jan Fran is a fabulous voice in Australia, a very important voice in Australia. She's a Walkley award-winning journalist. She's a TV presenter. She's a social commentator. She's terrifyingly funny. And like me, Jan Fran is an immigrant. So I was born in Lebanon. Yeah. Uh, and I moved here when I was four. So, right. yeah. What so, do you remember of Lebanon? Um, I have hazy memories, but. Um, Any city that we'd know? No. So it's, a, it's, it's in the northern part of Lebanon. Um, it's sort of like a, a, it's a village. Yeah. It's a little Lebanese village in the north of Lebanon. Um, I sort of remember things like shutters on the windows, which were green. They were sort of French green shutters that would open and close. And I remember outdoor areas um, being kind of paint. Wogs love concrete. They love it. They love concrete and tiles. I don't remember a carpet in sight. Mm. Um, I remember uh, we lived on a hill and I remember that hill was was quite high. I remember, and I would have been three at the time, maybe even two and a half, walking down the hill mm. with a cousin of mine who was maybe three. 
and uh, I, w- I remember buses. I, w- I was at school at that time. So I, I probably would have been two and a half or three when I started school. You start went to an international school and I think you start quite early mm. over there. And I would catch the bus on my own with all of the other school kids. I was three and a half. Mm. And I remember the yellow buses and and certain elements of um, the school that I was at. We used to I used to pick these little um, like these little grassy things and that and I would eat them and they would be very, very sour. Mm. And I remember that. They were these little things that grew in the grass. And I would have been, I mean, I would have been three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. What were you folks doing? So my dad uh, worked uh, at the bank um, and my mother was a teacher. Yeah. And what, what, was it a multi-generational household? Was everybody there? Yeah. Yeah. My gra- we lived with uh, my, my dad's uh, mother and um, his sisters, his two sisters, my mother, my father, myself. Right. And downstairs was um, cousins, so, so it was a it was a big kind of house. Right. So yeah. dinner time was just chaos. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, probably. I have no recollection really right. of, of having you know big kind of family meals, but I imagine they would. It just would. It, it's it's just an open. It's a different way of living. It's just an open house. People are in. Yeah. People are out. Revolving doors. You know, everybody knows everyone. So everything's open. You don't lock anything. Yeah. You know, every single person that walks past. You know, my, yeah. my grandmother. God love her, the village troll, Nan Fran, who'd be like, <laughs> you know, out the front, right? She's just having a look at who's walking past, who's it's coming today. You know, it's old school Facebook. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Sit on the front sit yeah. on the front desk with a front step with a cup of tea and just watch yeah. the news feed go by. Yeah. That was her news feed. Well, she still does it now. She sits at my parents' house in the front yard, just kind of just having a geese at the neighbours, waving, <laughs> you know. It's great. <laughs> so... Uh, so was this what, uh, late 80s, mid 80s? This would have been mid to late 80s. Yeah. Yeah, 86, 87, 88. And what? 89. What was the thing that instigated your folks to, to get out of there? Um, look, I think, you know, my parents were economic refugees and I think they just saw no future in the country. I mean, it's it's got issues <laughs> is probably the easiest way of putting it. And I don't think there was really a huge intention on the part of my parents to leave. My auntie was the one who wanted to come to Australia and she got the form. This is the, how the story goes, which I probably still have to ascertain from my dad. But story goes, she was sent the form to fill out to eventually migrate to Australia and she decided against it. And so my dad, who living in the same house, went, oh, you got this form? Well, I'll fill it out. We'll see how we go. Uh, and he fills it out and uh, they say, come in for an interview and they go in for an interview and they say, all right, well, you've got, you've got a visa. You're going to Australia. Welcome to Australia. That was it? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they would have had to have gone through the yeah. whatever processes existed at the time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it didn't seem like too difficult a, pl- a process for right. my parents. But and we had a lot of family here as well. So oh, okay. we, yeah, we had my all of my dad's uncles were here and mm. they'd been here since, you know, the 60s and okay. So we already had an established family here. Did you have any family in the south of Lebanon? No. Right. No, only in the north. And is that a more um like Christian area of of Lebanon? I'm not I'm not exactly familiar with uh, the country. Yeah, generally. Yeah. Okay. Um there there are Christians in the south. Yeah. But predominantly you'd, you'd find them in the north. Right. Mm. And so you are coming to a country on the other side of the world, but there is some familiarity about it mm. that you've obviously heard letters and postcards and things from people that have lived here going, yeah, it's pretty good. Yes, and money. 
Well, I don't know if we were sent money, but that that's kind of what happens. You know, right. people go overseas and they send money back to their family and people go, Australia is this magical fairyland where money grows on trees. And really they've just been working 17 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Under terrible conditions being called horrible racial names, but they're like, ah, fuck it, I'm getting paid. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I haven't really inquired as to what the early days were like for – members of my family, particularly my uncle who came here when he was 16 mm. and kind of settled in Redfern because Redfern was quite a big area for Lebanese immigrants at the time. Um, and he just worked. Yeah. He just worked, yeah. as did my dad. I mean, it wasn't until I got a job that I realised a work week was not Monday to Saturday because he would just work, you know, Monday to Saturday every single week and still does, right. six days a week. And when we were younger, we never he never took holidays. I can't remember him. I mean, he would for Christmas, but it would be five, six days because mm. he had his own business and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So Jan Fran grew up in one of the most multicultural suburbs in one of the most multicultural cities in Australia. And I wanted to know, what was the first time that Jan realised that not everywhere is as diverse as Redfern? Oh, I think when I went to Sydney Uni. So um, you were quite, so 18, 19? I was 16. 16? Yeah. So I started Sydney Uni when I was 16. I didn't get into law because law requires a mark of 99 point something and that just wasn't – that wasn't going to happen. That's, I'm, not that, I'm not that person. I don't have the discipline. Um, and also I question it too much. I'm like, why, why do I need to get that mark? That's – why do I need to do that? I don't want to do that, you know. Um, so I got to Sydney Uni and it was um, – you know, I'm a 16-year-old. I've just come out of my high school where I've been relatively popular and well-liked and, you know, people know me and I know this person and the bus picks you up and drops you off home and, you know, you walk home with your friend Lisa and it's great. And um, suddenly you're at this enormous university um, full of people from everywhere who are really, you know, getting great marks and trying quite hard. I, I spun out that you didn't have to go to class. I was like, you guys, you don't have to go to class. You know that, right? Like there's no role. This is amazing. We could stay here, you know, in this pub for all of eternity and no one would care. <laughs> and I think and everyone was like, mm, do you know how this works? And I, the short answer was no, I didn't know how it worked. Um, so I think that was like the first time that I was sort of really out of my comfort zone. And I ended up doing an arts degree and was like, what am I doing with my life, you know? Um, and I dropped out. I dropped out second semester, the last day that you could drop out before you get a fail on your record. I was like, I cannot have a fail on my record. I got a mark of 50.0. And that was just like a kick in the dick. A kick in the dick. Yeah. I, that was like, it was like, you know, if I believed in God, it would be God saying, this is your last, this is it, girl. This is, this is your last warning. Sort some shit out type thing. So, Were your parents of a particularly, you know, high standard of expectation? How do they feel about their, their daughter dropping terrible. out? Terrible. You're dropping out. You're not going to university. You have to go to university. You, you had to go to university. It wasn't, it was non-negotiable. And I don't think any of us, I have two other sisters, like none of us tried to negotiate. We all knew that, you know, that's where we were going to go. Um, so, yeah, when I dropped out, my parents like, you what, what are you doing? Why are you dropping out? And I said, I want to do acting classes. And that was, you know, my mother had to sit down. Um, 
And so they indulged me and they paid for my, my six weeks of acting classes in Paddington at the time because I didn't have any money. So I was like, can you please pay for my acting classes? They're like, all right, we'll give this girl. Maybe she'll return to her senses eventually. So I did that. This was in the second half of first semester. Uh, this was in the second half of second semester. So, yeah, in 2002. Um, and then 2003, I basically went to the University of Western Sydney on my initial marks, my HSC marks. So I was scrapped first year. I was like, we start again. I did journalism and I just worked. Like I read every book by Anthony Robbins that year because I'm like, I need some motivation. I need some self-help. I can heal my life. Louise L. Hay, um, you know, <laughs> The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart's pretty good now. Eckhart's really good. Actually, that book was a seminal book for me. Yeah. Uh, I was highlighting every page. I was like, I get it. Have you ever listened to him speak? I have. I have to listen to him on 1.5 speed because I'm like, Eckhart, come on, mate. The feeling that you have is the pain. (laughs) This is the reaction of the pain body. It is to be ignored. For the pain body is just another part of oneself kicking and screaming like a spoiled child. That is Eckhart. (laughs) That's that's actually Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's a pretty pretty wacky guy, but... Uh, I, I, you know, I really like, and in many ways, the the, the things that he speaks about, uh, the things that went on to kind of really save my life in no way at all. When he speaks about the thinking self and the observing self, mm. once as a human, once you figure that part out, mm. um, I was speaking earlier about jealousy or anger. It's only possible really to do anything about those things if you then observe the anger or observe the jealousy, and go, oh, okay, so I'm feeling anger at that. I'm not actually like. Yeah. There's anger going on in my body. Okay, why is that? Because if you if you can't do that, then you're caught up in that emotion and you're stuck in these emotional reactions and then you, then you're basically just a fire hose with nobody holding it yeah. and just spurting nastiness around. He has this wonderful phrase and I'm so glad that I stumbled. I'm so glad I had that terrible time in, in first year Sydney Uni where everything just went wrong because it led me to kind of look into, okay, how do I, how do I get it right, you know, or how do I start to feel like it's, it's on track? But Eckhart Tolle's got this sort of wonderful thing that I wanted to get tattooed because, you know, when you're like, come to any kind of spiritual awakening you're just like this is a great idea if I got this tattooed on my body forever which thank god I didn't but it was um watch the thinker where it's exactly that where you are your thinking self but you're also your watching self and I remember reading that and I was like watch the thinker what what does he mean and he goes on to sort of explain it's like just for a minute just observe the thoughts that are in your that are in your mind and you realise that there's a higher you and that's the you that you want to try and tap into. And so I'm sitting on the train out in Penrith or wherever I am, you know, and I was just for a minute, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to see what happens. And it was like this moment of like, oh, fuck, he's right. And I, you only managed to do it for, a, I mean, it wasn't even a second and I still can't do it for any longer than that really. Um, but yeah, I think for me that was like, okay, I sort of, it was a new way of sort of understanding, yeah. you know, being, I guess, not to get too deep and spiritual no, all of a sudden, but that's, you know, what, that's, we, that's what this show's about. Uh, but <laughs> so you had this, uh, uh, it's, it's extraordinary, you know, the parallels here. Cause I, I also had the situation where I, 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 I dropped out of university. I felt terrible about it. Mm. But then when I found the thing that, oh, I actually really like this. I worked so fucking hard. 
I would sleep on the studio floor because I just didn't, you know, when I got into radio, I was like, I don't ever want to have that feeling again. I'm just going to work as hard as I can at this. Why, why journalism, though? What was it that brought you there? Um, I think I always, I was always very engaged um, as a kind of a young young kid. I remember being in class once and the teacher would kind of went around the room and she's like, okay, tell us some of the programs that you all watched last night on the TV. Um, and, you know, it was this and that and this and that. And I said... Neighbours. Yeah, you know, Home and Away or whatever. With The Nanny, that was something that was definitely in, in yeah. like the 90s. Um, and I remember saying the news and she, the teacher was like, the news? And everyone was like, the news? You watch the news? And I'm like, yeah, I watch the news. Don't you guys watch the news? Um, and they didn't watch the news. But I always just did watch the news. I actually enjoyed watching the news. We are going to take a quick break uh, to pay the bills. We're back in a moment with more from Jan Fran. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jan Fran has an, a very unique talent. She is able to go between heavy news, like the heaviest stuff there is, and comedy very easily. It's rare to find someone who's able to report on such serious news topics and also be hilarious in the very, very next moment. Now, I want us to know if Jan remembers the first time that she got a laugh from someone she didn't know. A laugh, laugh from a stranger, um, maybe in um, high school, and it was um, at, at a friend's house. It was her mum, and I can't remember what it what it was that I was saying, but I, yeah, I remember her kind of laughing, and I was like, "Oh, she's into it. Okay, good." But I still never really thought that that was my my, my strong point. I was never like, "I'm going to be funny," you know. I, I, it was just like, "Oh, this is me," and there's there's a side element that sometimes they can be a little bit funny. And I'd always get told in high school, you know, oh, you're funny. Did that funny help you cope with some of the fairly horrific things you've witnessed doing your job as a journalist overseas? Probably, yeah. I'm, very, I'm also very cynical. My humour is very dark. It's not for everybody. Mm. I tend not to share it with everybody because sometimes the, the work environment I work in is so, it's not normal. Like sometimes I, I think, oh, what would it be like if I worked in an office in the city? Like I couldn't say half the things that I say, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think humour helps everything, right? Mm. Like if you, can, if you can look at something and laugh or if you can look at something and find the funny in it, it would help enormously. 
And I find I find funny in horrible situations. I think they're the ones that you need to find funny in the most. I saw I saw it in both my parents who as doctors would just see death and sadness and having to tell people they're going to lose a leg and, you know, all the fucking time. But that's a way doctors deal with um, grim shit yeah. every – Were your parents funny? Every day. Um, dad was. Dad was very funny. But, you know, they would do things like – Doctors do things like I'm not going to say my parents. I don't want to throw them anywhere, but like, say for example, it's 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 a bit different now because um, patient records are, are publicly available. Um, but there was a time like 20, 30 years ago where patient records were it's like you know the thing that they write on the chart at the bottom of a bed, right? right? You know that's got a cover over it yeah. that the other doctor picks up, yeah, uh, who's changed shifts and goes, oh okay then, like, let's just say young Rebecca. She's five, cute as a button, has colossal inoperable brain cancer, has no hair, has a giant zipper scar across her skull, has her My Little Pony in her hand, has probably got a couple of weeks, all right? And um, she has a a slightly strange left eye, all right? Uh, That's just, you know, she's a little weird. So in the folder... It will say, and you know, and mum and dad are by the bedside morning. In the folder, it'll say Rebecca FLK um, uh, reporting this. That, that, that. FLK means funny looking kid, right? So the next doctor has left a thing there. Has left a thing there for the next doctor, right? To just go, this is as bad as sad as it's ever going to get. Yeah. But here's a little something that'll make it just a right. little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, I can I can pay that. I yeah. can yeah I can I think I think you need those kind of. Um, in jokes and those like little bits of release when you're dealing with things that are really, really difficult. And that's what, you know, that's, I find that people who are attracted to journalism or attracted to sort of grim shit have, have that about them kind of innately built. Not everyone, mm. but there's a lot who would also kind of, yeah, deal, deal with the shit that they see with a level of kind of cynicism or humour or, mm. you know. I'm not earnest. I'm not an earnest person. Right. What's the, like, when you were... When you're an overseas correspondent, like, would you, like, be in the Land Cruiser with you and the camo and the Sandy and the fixer on the way back from, you know, watching women your age with four kids, you know, dragging children across a desert going, oh. what's on the fucking room service menu? <laughs> Soundy, camo. <laughs> I'm sorry, what are all of these things? <laughs> well, I, I was in Africa on my own. Fuck. I was in Africa by myself with my camera and my tripod and my little bag full of um, stuff and I was travelling and I was arranging everything. I was producing, I was reporting, I was shooting, I was doing everything. And there was um, – there's there's one story – I don't know if we've got enough time. To, maybe I'll just tell this story very, very quickly and then you can tell me to fuck off. No. Um, but I was I did this story in, in, um, in Uganda on something called nodding disease – and it was this very strange case of young children in particular in this certain part of Uganda who started to get sort of like droopy, droopy sort of heads. Um, and nobody, nobody knew what it was from. And there was, you know, people who were saying it was contaminated water and yada, yada, yada. And so I decided, to, I found, I was reading the local paper and I found the story of this girl who had um, this disease and her parents didn't know what to do with her. Um, and so that they had tied her to a tree. Um, so I, I found the charity that has, was sort of working with this, these 
this family. I'd rented a car driving a, around Uganda on my own. And I said, can I go and can we meet this family? Would you be able to reach out to them? Sure, we can reach out to them. And I went there and there's this girl who's about 12 years old and she's um, tied to a tree. So she's got a rope around her leg and the, the rope is tied to the tree so she can't go, you know, any further than the length of the rope. But And she's tied because she wandered off at one point. She's kind of had sort of had – has is a very slow learner. That's what this disease apparently does to the body. But she wandered off and she kind of slipped and, and fell into a fire. And so she, she, but it was just her hand. So she must have tried to stop herself from falling into this fire by, with her hand. And so her right hand was burnt. The fingers on her right hand were all burnt and they were um, charred. And there was skin and there was, you know, the, you could see the bone. And I got there and I, that was the first thing I saw. And I saw her hand and I saw her kind of just crouching there with the rope around her leg tied to the tree. And it's just me. I'm not with, there's nobody else here. I'm in this family home. Um, the person from the charity is with me who, who's, you know, he's the one, he's my sort of like connection to that family and I was like whatever you do don't cry I'm like you can cry later but you are in you are a professional journalist you're coming here to investigate you whatever it is you know you're coming here to report on something don't don't cry be cool this is you're an observer sort of thing. Um, and so we did, the, we did the story and I did the interview with the mother and I shot, you know, a whole bunch of sort of sequences um, with her and um, then kind of left and got to the hotel room and just bawled my eyes out. And I had to call my friend who was living in Beirut at the time because she, was, she has also done a whole bunch of this kind of stuff and she used to travel on her own as well. There was not one other person there that I could talk to. I had to call her in a totally different, you know, hemisphere and just tell her. And she was like, look, it's okay. It's okay to feel like that. You see things. You can't do anything. It's not, sometimes it's not your place. And I tried, I tried, called, there was a hospital, there was a Mari Stopes hospital just down the road from where I was. And I said, if I pay for this girl to come here, will you fix her hand? She just needed like ointment and bandages. You know what I mean? It wasn't fucking life-saving surgery. And they said, yeah, we'll do it. And so I talked talk to the guy from the charity and I said, you can get, if she can come here tomorrow, I'll pay for the transport and for the medical. Um, and you know, you're in Uganda, it's not, it's, it's a certain amount of money, but it's very doable, you know. Um, and I remember that it was that day and at the last minute they said, oh, the family, the family, the guy from the charity called me and he said, oh, the family said that they're busy and they can't bring her to Gulu because they were about an hour away. So that was it? That was it. So I called the hospital and I said, she's, she's not coming. Yeah, that was it. I adore Jan Fran. Her husband's a fantastic fella. She's great. And I'm so stoked that she is 
a voice in our country because her voice is very important and her perspective is very, very important. Uh, I would thoroughly recommend following her and uh, having a look because she's very thoughtful about the way that she presents herself and has a lot of quite remarkably interesting things to say. And uh, yeah, I'm glad she came around and I'm glad I could play you this little bit, but there's way more of it. Go scroll on back to episode 217 is where you can find it. Thanks very much to Bruce Steele who produced this episode, Andy Marr on audio and video post, Toe Hider who made all the music and Rachel Barrett, my executive producer. I'll see you on Friday here in the podcast and Saturday we are in Newcastle at the Newcastle Comedy Festival, 5.30 in the afternoon. Make sure you also check out Midflight Brawl. They start at 3 p.m. And Heggie's on that night with touring his show Grot. So if you're anywhere near Newcastle, make the effort. We'll be there. And I've got fuck all to do between the end of NTN and NNN and Heggie's show. So come say hi. I'll be getting out of a suit and getting into a pair of sweaty jeans. But yeah, come say hi. I'll see you there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 